Welcome to another episode of Market Open Podcast, a podcast where we speak to ASX company executives and industry experts. Market Open Podcast will focus on a company and its results, but most importantly, simplify it down to what the results actually mean. We'll keep it real and also find out a little bit about our guests along the way. Today's guest is Roderick McElroy, Executive Chairman of Whitecliffe Minerals, ASX Code WCN. Rod is an Australian geologist with extensive experience in developing large-scale projects in cold climates. Currently based in London, Rod has worked inside the Arctic Circle for more than 20 years. With extensive knowledge in M&A, international logistics and small-cap fundraisings, he provides the leadership for this new phase of growth of the company. Rod has extensive international contacts and is part of the executive management team. Whitecliffe Minerals is a mineral exploration company currently focusing its exploration on its highly prospective IOCG rare earth lithium and base metal project portfolio in Western Australia. Last week, Whitecliffe announced a new project area in Canada, which we'll absolutely go into today. Rod, thanks for joining us today on Market Open Podcast. Morning, Stuart. Thank you. Firstly, you joined as executive chairman in August of this year. What was it about Whitecliffe that attracted you to this role? The company had a, a quite an interesting portfolio of assets that uh, were predominantly or in fact totally West Australian based. Um, I knew several of the directors in the company, having worked with a couple of them previously, and you know a lot of the shareholders were also known to me. So it was a natural transition. Um, I'm based in London, uh, as you, you, your listeners may or may not be aware, but um, I bring a sort of a, a London uh, shareholder base towards this, along with sort of the global global contacts, etc. Can you give me an insight into the people behind Whitecliffe and what are the company's aspirations? Yeah, so the, the company at the moment is an evolving one. Um, I was starting with sort of with the aspirations first because I think that, that sort of segues better. Um, we are looking at uh, picking up a, a number of licenses and we have started this process. You will have seen the first announcement go out to market uh, a couple of weeks ago in terms of a Canadian copper uh, acquisition. We t- intend to progress that uh, flavour, if you like. Um, we have identified several large-scale, very high-quality um, pre-jork resources over there. And the important thing, I think, here, Stuart, is that we are able to organically grow, grow these uh, assets. And what I mean by that is is that we can basically, in Canada at the moment, in, in sort of the northwest part of Canada, you can go in and you can put licenses on these assets because to a certain extent, many of them and, and the ones that we've secured and we'll be updating shareholders on, they they sort of predate the 1980s in, in the copper mine project that predates the 1970s. So a lot of the um, the work that was done there is is very old, very high quality. Uh, we'll be chasing that down and and uh, you know expanding our Canadian presence. I think the Australian assets out of the twelve or thirteen that we have there, I think um, we'll probably look at keeping and progressing about four of them. We will be moving some of these assets onto uh, other parties over time. Uh, divestment program is is probably going to be starting in the next couple of months. And um, in terms of the people, we have our uh, sort of conversations ongoing about people that are going to progress this um, this part of the world. Um, obviously, the Arctic is is a challenge for a lot of people. 
So you need to bring the right people, the right resources and the right mindset to these sorts of things. So, you know, we, we've got a lot of experience in, in that sort of circumpolar region. And um, you know, I think that this this will sort of just be par for the course for many of the people that will be coming on board shortly. Traditionally in Canada, it's all about lithium, but you've gone copper. Why is that? Yeah, look, I, I've been doing, uh, I've been working in markets for a long time, Stu, and um, the philosophy here really is is pretty simple. We want to be in front of the next wave with the best assets that we pick up cheaply, rather than pay top dollar for uh, assets that have sort of questionable, uh, you know, economics or, or viability, let's say. Uh, I think that the lithium boom, let's call it, the lithium wave that we're seeing is is very mature. Um, and I think that by positioning ourselves in terms of uranium and also copper, uh, we will get the best bang for our buck. I think that, you know, over the next 18 months, all the, all the predictions for copper are, are pretty uh, pretty positive in terms of tailwind for, for investors. And what we can do here is we can pick these projects up really for cents in the dollar. And, you know, so some of the things that we're, we're going to be putting out over the next sort of couple of months, um, even sort of, even surprised me a little bit in terms of their, their scale and their economic potential. So your current project portfolio is Western Australia. How did the opportunity come about to get to Canada? Yeah, so it, it started actually uh, going back to sort of the, the just sort of the post post lockdown period uh, from the COVID and it's a couple of colleagues and um, I know were working in the mines department basement, just sort of going through old piles of reports. And what's interesting over time, Stuart, is, is the loss of information at the point of format change. What I mean by that is that as these paper reports are sort of transitioned into microfiche and microfiche goes to analog and analog goes to magnetic tape and punch cards, et cetera, et cetera, digitized. At each one of those steps, uh, quite a significant amount of the information is actually lost or just not done or put away or the, the person who's uh, transitioning it loses interest. And so the, these sort of reports were in a big bunch of boxes at the back of the room and uh, these guys just sort of sat down and read them. We, we were looking at uh, preparing this for a London IPA. We, we had quite a ways advanced the, the situation there. And then when I uh, sort of started speaking to the Whitecliffe guys, Ed and Dan, um, you know, the shareholders, as I, I've said previously, I know a lot of these guys. And uh, it was just a natural fit for Whitecliffe because they were sort of looking for a, a new set of challenges. I think Canada is, is a place that you're going to see a lot more Australians just simply because of the potential there. Canada is, is I think, it's fair to say, struggling to raise money to support their industry. Most of the lithium players in, in sort of uh, the eastern part of Canada are Australian, uh, you know, having picked these things up relatively cheap uh, quite some time back. So, yeah, look, just, just trying to be in front of the curve, Stuart. That's my philosophy for life. You talk about potential. What do you think is the scale potential of this project and what makes this acquisition so remarkable? So there's a couple of things here. There's a number of assets that are coming, of course. We probably won't spend too much time talking about that. But the one that we have at the moment, we've already released to market, Copper Mine. This is a um, a, a, a dual geological model. It is, is copper silver, extraordinarily high grade, very deep structurally controlled mineralization. 
Um, but more, more importantly, an enormous amount of mineralized fluid has gone through these structural zones. And what we have up there that is very good, uh, very fortunate, is quite reactive rocks in terms of sandstones for the sedimentary hosted, uh, what they call red bed uh, material, and also your sort of vertical, near vertical, structurally controlled, uh, very high grade, bornite, uh, too bright, native copper in some instances. This project was actually discovered uh, back in the satellite mid, mid-1700s when uh, they identified the Inuits in the area were making hand tools and um, weapons and knives uh, out of native copper. And it went through a, a period of explosive growth, uh, as was the case in a lot of those Northwest projects at the time. And then I think the reality set in of the logistics, this is pre-Northwest um, Passage and pre the changing environment up there. Uh, and now what we have is we have an area that's actually quite accessible uh, relative to uh, other places historically. And we have the, the people that we sort of can drive this forward. So it's a very high-grade copper project. I think there's going to be a lot of noise coming off this over the next three to six months. And uh, there's a, a lot of resources that are already there that have been identified that we intend to firm up and, and uh, articulate to market appropriately. You've got a huge land area. What's going to be the main focus when you get on the ground? Yeah, so we we have a, a, a focus on the high-grade structurally controlled copper. Um, and the reason for that is it can be quite easily identified using... Uh, aerial surveys. So we we intend to start those aerial surveys uh, very early next year, and then ground through them. So, you know the the results that we've put out to market to date are exceptional, uh, very high grade copper. One of the things I think that there has been some comments that you know the the ability to hand select high grade copper results um, are are uh, you know they. The potential to sort of high grade your results, I guess, is something that people have said. But a, a, the important point to make here, I think, is that all of these results, well, not all of them, but a lot of them, the high grade results, were actually uh, sourced by a government, the Bureau of Mines geologists who were mapping in the area. So they're done right. These very high grade structurally controlled copper, you know, these. Uh, seams of malachite, if you want to call them that, uh, can be traced over several hundred metres uh, in some instances before they sort of go under the, underneath the vegetation. So focus will really be along that sort of high-grade, medium-tonne uh, aspect that sort of drives the interest in the broader area. I think bulk-tonne, lower-grade, 2 to 5% uh, material in the sedimentary hosted is something that's a sort of a slower burn. So if we start looking a little bit more local, you've got Lake Tay, Diamels and Bentley. What excites you most about those projects? Yeah, okay. So the, the, the West Musgrave one, Bentley, um, is an interesting situation that is uh, out near uh, Winsalina. BHP are working out that direction. There's some big project uh, metrics out that can be found out there. I think the, the philosophy, Stuart, really is you know, we want to be on the leading edge of the, the exploration um, wing. Trying to sort of run around and rework old ground is is not something that we're going to spend a lot of time doing. Um, 
I think the rest of the projects, uh, the, the rare earth ones that, that we haven't mentioned, uh, will probably go through some sort of divestment process. We, we hope to sort of get some uh, liquidity for them uh, over the next sort of six months. But um, yeah, focus will really be on those three projects and, and a handful of additional projects that we'll be pulling in um, from Canada as well. What we hope to have or what we will have is a Canadian-based site manager, uh, exploration manager, country manager, if you like, that will really uh, take a lot of the weight off our Australian team in terms of implementation and design and um, you know execution of, of the programs in Canada. So they all should be done for pretty cheap uh, power-to-weight ratio. As a public company, there's no one more important than your shareholders. What can they look forward to over the next six to 12 months as the company evolves? Yeah, sure. Look, I'm a shareholder as well. I think it's important that, that the management uh, have an incentive program that is aligned with shareholders. Um, we, we have uh, just recently implemented one of those that, that sort of has uh, various benchmarks that see as the value of the company as the number of shares as at a certain date times the share price uh, goes above each of these uh, hurdles, then I think they're 35 million Australian dollars, 70 million and 100 million Australian dollars, then uh, those awards get triggered. So that that doesn't get bulked out by dilution. As I said, that is as at a certain date, at a certain time, the number of shares. And I think that you know the news flow coming from not only just the initial acquisitions of these Canadian assets. I think once this process is done of getting all these assets that we have been working on for the last sort of six months into Wycliffe, shareholders will be able to step back. And because of this downturn in the market in the rest of the world, Stuart, probably not really applicable to West Australia because you guys sort of sailed through it, but the rest of the world's been in a pretty murky, dire place for the last 12 months. And a lot of the uh, a lot of the assets that we are picking up here are uh, with the benefit of hindsight and standing and looking at the entire portfolio uh, in six months. The Whitecliffe shareholders are going to be pretty impressed with what we've put together here. So this is a journey. Um, I think that it it represents great value at the moment in terms of its price and and what's coming and the assets that it will have. I've got a pretty good view on this, so you know that's that's my opinion, I guess. But uh, I think I think things look pretty bright. It's been shocking market conditions for some time, but I am sensing a, a shift. Um, you must be pretty happy with how you've positioned Whitecliff to capitalise. Yeah, hundred percent. No, th- th- this is something that I've been talking to a lot of uh, colleagues in London about over the last couple of weeks. The selling's done, and everybody who had to sell was a forced seller, whatever, whatever the reason. Uh, it's now gone sort of back to sort of bid no offer and. Fortunately, at the bottom of these things, Stuart, is when the assets change hands. And this is really what we've been able to do is position ourselves to secure several of these things that, as I said, will be announced in the coming weeks and months. And uh, we will, you know, good luck, good fortune, good management, whatever you want to call it. I guess it's uh, it's 90% persistence at the end of the day, isn't it? Rod, clearly an exciting time for the company. Thanks for joining us today on Market Open Podcast. Yeah, thanks, Stuart. No, it's uh, it's going to be a good ride. That concludes another episode of Market Open Podcast. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, LinkedIn, Twitter, rss.com and marketopen.com.au. 
Until next time, happy investing. The content of this podcast is intended to be general in nature and is not personal financial product advice. It does not address the circumstances of any individual or entity. You should not construe any of this information or other part of the material as legal tax, investment, financial, or other professional advice. Market Open and its employees are not financial advisors. You should consider seeking independent, legal, financial taxation, or other advice to check how any information relates to your unique circumstances. Nothing contained in this podcast constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Market Open or any third party to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in this or any other jurisdiction in which such solicitation or offer would be unlawful under the securities laws of such jurisdiction.